0: Welcome to Charged Up Studio Live, where small business owners get charged up for success. Are you a small business owner? Do you find yourself struggling through the many responsibilities that come with the title entrepreneur? Well, we're here for you. Charged Up Studio is hosted by Market Academy LLC, your prescription for what we call OPA. What is OPA? It's when you become so overwhelmed with the confusion that comes with business ownership that you become paralyzed and ultimately avoid doing anything in hopes it will take care of itself or you put it off till later. Does that sound familiar? I'm your host, Dan Olivo, and each week we bring a business professional eager to charge you up as they talk about the many things that keep you from moving forward with your small business. So are you ready to get Charged Up for success? Let's hit it. So welcome back to Charged Up Studio, where we uncover the hidden gems of business success and learn from industry experts. I'm Dan Olivo, your host, and today we're continuing our Session 5 monthly focus on the art of entrepreneurial responsibility for small businesses. Successful businesses often provide hints or patterns that others can learn from. By paying attention to these clues, we can make more informed decisions when it comes to growing our own businesses. These clues can be anything from strategies that worked, challenges, overcome, or even the mindset of successful entrepreneurs. Today's guest is Jeremy Torisk, the founder of Coaching Done Better. Jeremy has a wealth of experience when it comes to scaling small businesses, and he's here to share his insights on how to pay attention to the signs that success provides. So let's all give a heartfelt, charged-up studio welcome to Mr. Jeremy Torsk with Coaching Done Better. Welcome, Jeremy Oh how go with the applause there. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I thought that's what you were doing, was getting ready to put that little button that says, you know, all the all Apple, the, uh, uh, the applause. Yeah. Yes, yes. I've had a few people on that have done this. I don't yeah. know if you're familiar with who Rook is, Daniel Rook. And, I've heard of him. <laughs> yeah, and he is just hilarious. I've known him for 10 years, 10, 15 years. That's and great. Well, thanks for I having have him on. Huh?
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, no, no. I'm looking forward to our talk here. I'm all about watching signs. I'm a strategist, okay? And as a strategist, I watch trends. I watch the market. I watch what the competition's doing. And it's important that small business owners understand why we need to keep our eyes and ears open. But we keep getting so involved in our businesses that we don't pay attention to what's going on around us. Yes, So, before we get started, I always ask my guests one specific question to kind of break the ice, kind of give them a feel for who you are. So, are you ready? Sure. Okay. If you were to go back and confront your younger self, what sage advice would you give him and at what age?
1: Well, that's a good one. I had, uh, I've done a lot of work on myself. I came from a very troubled childhood, and so I had to write actually a letter to myself to, it's called... uh, you know, a letter to little Jeremy, actually. So uh, I, I basically wrote a letter to like my eight year old, nine year old self, uh, allowing myself to have fun and laugh and, and and not be so uptight because I was the basically the patriarch of my family from about eight, seven, eight years old. And so I took everything so serious and you know, I was full of rage and always full of anxiety. And and people thought that I was having fun because I was a drummer. I did play the drums from a very young age. I love jokes, loved making people laugh but our household was so inappropriate that what looked like fun was really just survival, just trying to fit in. Right. And, um, it wasn't fun inside. And, and so it was full, so full of being responsible for my brother and sister and even my parents that, um, it took its toll later in life in my later teens. So, right. uh, I actually forgave myself, um, a couple of years ago, wrote that letter and just saying, yeah. you can have fun now and laugh.
0: Yeah, I think we've talked about this on our last call, you know, and stuff like that. But it's it's funny how we can, our outer selves can camouflage or hide so yeah. much of our inner turmoil. Turmoil,
1: And we're getting better at it because of social media, living yes. these internet lifestyles and yes. then buying into it when you're not there. You're not doing the work, you're putting right. yourself in front of these cars that you don't own, and then you're buying into the, your own hype, and then you don't do anything in life. And, that's,
0: and And a lot of times we don't even realize it's going on. Yeah. A lot of right. times we don't even realize those sabotaging behaviors that we are carrying out day after day after day. That's, that's <laughs> basically stopping us in our tracks and we yeah. can not understand why, you know? So, yeah. yeah. yeah, So coaching, you know, I, you can tell I've gotten a lot of, out of my coaching, my psychological, you know, journey, yes. <laughs> all of that. So, <laughs> and until you learn that you can't you can't move farther,
1: you know. So Yeah, well, that's why as they say it's better to be consistently in the middle, watch the highs, avoid the lows. You know, buying into that hype is kind of dangerous because yeah. especially when you aren't near there, that those lows can be very treacherous when yeah. things hit. So, you know, staying right there in the middle, I, I'm not that way. I can tell people that. I'm a very emotional person.
0: Yeah. So
1: working yeah. on that for me is always work, trying to make maintain right. that middle, you know, 60 right. percent
0: yeah no i have a daughter who was diagnosed with bipolar disease mm, when yeah. she was a teenager but you know when i think back of it she she's not on medication now but when i think back on it how much of it was a truly a mental disorder and how much of it was just typical teenage angst. yeah
1: it's hard to tell these days it's you know especially when that set the onset of bipolar happens at those later teen years too right. so exactly uh, it's, my mother was bipolar, which makes me always concerned really, with yeah. the way my my actions are. And I go, is this a manic? Is this manic action, or is this just me being, you know, t- my my normal self? You know, kind of, uh, what's the word? Uh, sensitive self. You know what I mean. Exactly. So, exactly. And you got to watch it. But I, the thing is, though, I do recognize You're it. It's it. Probably not the mental issue yeah. because I recognize it, and where yeah. where that's where the yeah. mind. The manic people, they don't recognize it. And that's
0: exactly it. You know, if if you're conscious of it, you know, more than likely, it's just, it's something that you're going through yeah, triggering this, (laughs) you know, so, so before we get, before we dive into our discussion, Jeremy, can you tell our listeners a bit about yourself and your background in coaching and small business growth?
1: Sure. So I have a lot more uh, experience in small business growth and I'm talking explosive small business growth, but when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, it's because I put in coaching-type activities and actions that allowed people to do their jobs. So, really, my coaching spans 20 years when you consider that small business growing time as myself coaching others around the country. That's so, right. I started off We're uh, literally digging ditches. At 20 years old, I was homeless. Uh, and the book behind me right there is Labor to Leadership, My Journey from Pit Digger to CEO because literally I was just digging dishes, but it was for a contractor for the cable company. And I ended up staying in that industry in the cable television fiber optic industry for 30 years. And I went from a small construction company to internally, I worked for Comcast for eight years. Right. Uh, at 32 years old, I was probably the fastest promoted and youngest manager running an $80 million upgrade project down here in South Florida. And that lasted again for about eight years. So when I went out and left the company because that was over and they wanted me to be some sort of uh, really, because I, again, that coaching, I did a great job with the contractors with that coaching mentality and ownership mentality. They wanted me to run their training departments, but I couldn't see myself. I talk about uh, teaching the ABCs of CATV. It would have driven me nuts. I'm just not built that way. Yeah. So I left opened my own business as a contractor and did really great. That was in 2006 and blew up my own small business uh, just because I was an ultimate operator. I can get anything done. People knew that they gave me the hardest jobs and I got them done. But in 2009, bam, and that housing market crashed.
0: Housing market, yeah. I I was right in the middle of it. Right in the middle of it. I was in the architectural engineering construction market. I know.
1: (laughs) Because I didn't graduate high school, I was homeless from 17 to 20. I didn't have a, a college degree. I didn't understand finance. I didn't understand sales or marketing or business or leadership. Uh, I understand operations and to some assert leadership because I was an example. I, I If I walked it and talked it, people followed me. And so I guess from that, that standpoint, I understood mm-hmm. leadership, but not from a point of leading teams. And, uh, and if they weren't a, having a shovel in their hand or, or in a bucket truck, oh. I didn't understand. So when I lost that business, I had no fallback. And I was, oh, man, I was 600,000 in debt. I'd bought a new house. I'd, I'd leveraged myself to the eyeballs buying equipment for the construction company. So we saw a homeless person on the street in 2010, they had $600,000 more than me because I had zero dollars. I was in debt by 600,000, right? They had zero in their bank Yeah, right. They were ahead, ahead of me. Yes. So it took three or four years for me to come out of that. And during that time I had to humble myself. I literally took a job answering phones at a call center, selling cable TV and that's where my real PhD came in, and that's where I learned sales and marketing and real leadership of teams and building relationships and really, those uh, those four years I, I have yeah. a tendency of being promoted very quickly. Yeah. So I was a director after like eight months, and I was opening up you know offices in, yeah. in Jamaica and and around, and th- that's really what changed yeah. everything for me. So well,
0: would have been my. Like- you would have been my ideal customer when you had that first business, because those are the people that I am working with are those that they, they have a good product or service. They do what they do well, but they don't know how to build a business around. Yeah. And so that's where, you know, that's where I come in with what I do through market. Yes. That's so, right.
1: That's why we're so, talking because we, we kind of help. Yeah. People understand what they, they don't know what they don't know.
0: That's you exactly know. it. That's exactly once you it. can,
1: if you have a gift of asking smart questions and having them realize their shortcomings, then they can then ask you for that help. Uh, or you've illustrated enough times that you're the person that can help in those categories. Right. Uh, there's yes. your value add right there.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So let's delve into our, our topic here. So what are some common signs that indicate small businesses ready to scale up?
1: So this is perfect, <laughs> perfect timing because when I left that uh, market, that, that marketing job, my the, the home markets were coming back, C- cable companies and phone companies were putting more money into the market of, of, of redoing their cable and fiber systems. Us, we were so new. I mean, we had no capital. We tried to get back into the business again. So I started it with the company and started building relationships with like AT&T and these large companies. Uh, we went to Dallas because Dallas was starting a big fiber optic projects. So we didn't have a lot of capital to pay employees, so we hired subcontractors. So one of the things that when you say success leaves clues is if you can't afford it, sub it out. right? So the hardest thing about subbing it out was paying the subs in a timely manner. So what we did was we created a system of pictures of the plants that we were going to build. And we gave those to the subcontractors and the installers that we could hire. We built our plant so tight and so quickly that the AT&T inspectors, when they found out what we were doing, we, they made us duplicate that and got permission for us to teach the other contractors to do it. We actually changed the way AT&T did business in the Dallas market back in 2013 because we started, you know, typically it takes two weeks to build a plant, 30 days to get paid. Contractors can't wait that long. We were getting paid 10 days after we built the plant. So we were able to put our contractors on a quick pay model because these pictures made everything easy. Built it like this. And we just made it literally in color, uh, like a four-year-old. And so we were able to attract the top subcontractors in the region to work for us because we paid faster than everyone else because the inspectors trusted us because we actually had the pictures of what we did. And so that really told us, but even though we were new to the market in Dallas, we're all from South Florida, we went to Dallas where people worked for 20, 30 years with these built-in relationships, and we, with one simple initiative change, we changed the way we everyone did business over there. So the small guy can make a difference. And that was that's the first time success less stuff. A huge clue. That's the way to do it.
0: Um, no, I love what you're talking about there. And like I said, I spent thirty years in the architectural engineering. And construction market. And while I was still working with one of the largest um, uh, construction management firms, uh, I got laid off in 2009. Mm -hmm. I saw the signs. You know, I saw us going from competing against maybe, you know, six different companies for one project over a 45 day period competing against 30, 40 different companies.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: just it changed that fast, you know, yeah. and I kept telling them we need to make some changes, some cross training, you know, things are going to happen. Yeah. You're going to have to lay people off, you know, those kind of things. And they were yeah. chasing projects, didn't have any relationships, anything like oh, that. Oh, all
1: right. I guess started getting desperate.
0: Yeah. Just so revenue. those are the kind of signs that we're talking about is let's, yeah. you know, let's look at this. You know, there's a reason things happen. You know, if you see your competition laying people off. Okay. Yeah. Why? Right. Okay. Is it an internal issue or is it an external issue?
1: Yeah. Is the, right. Is the market yeah. changing or is the, that business owner going through some personal stuff? You know,
0: that's exactly it. That's exactly it. So, you know, can you share some examples of um, uh, successful scaling strategies that sure. you've helped some, some of your clients with?
1: Well, one of the things that helped to scale is just being again consistent in paying and doing what we we're going to say, uh, and then actually getting it done in a way that when we, when we were having problems getting our money from AT and T, we were able to work with the contractors and let them know that we might be late. So we let them we gave them notice that the checks are going to be late because of whatever it was, but we could pay half of it now. So we were honest with them, open, and gave them time to adjust their finances. Right. Uh, and the biggest thing that that helped us out with, it became um, basically a trust issue where in 2017, when Maria and Irma hit Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands, we had to go against the really big companies to try to get that project. I mean, that those are huge projects, four islands that were hit, two category five hurricanes, plenty of work to go around. But, you know, like you said, there's just hundreds of people going after it. We kind of made our weakness a strength and by saying the big companies that you're talking to are going to do all the easy work and then they're going to come back to america when all the big easy money dries up and then no one's going to be coming over here to do the easy stuff or the harder stuff especially the stuff that they messed up and the people who live here their houses are in disarray because it was devastated they're not going to have the wherewithal and the mindset to come and do this work if you hire us we've got an army full of contractors that trust us. We're going to come here. We're going to stay here. We'll be here for a year. We won't leave until everything is done. We won all four islands, Puerto Rico and all four Virgin islands. We brought over 800 people in 300 trucks and we stayed there exactly one year and we got the whole job, 95 percent done, except for some of the things where in Puerto Rico, there were some mountain areas that they just, just, they weren't ready for us. But all the big areas and all, all four Virgin islands and Puerto Rico were built because of that trust that came and started in Dallas back in 2013. And it was because of that open communication. And when things didn't go right, we self uh, kind of diagnosed what was going wrong. We communicated that and we worked around it. And that kind of boiled over into 2019 when that was done from 2000 all through 2018, basically we had nothing left in America because we had all of our resources now,
0: are
1: overseas, yeah. Overseas, so we come back to zero. Well,
0: COVID uh, kicks in.
1: Facebook was looking <laughs> for contractors, <laughs> and they were doing this um, uh, huge, huge project—two million feet through the hardest part of Eastern America, through the granite of the Appalachian Mountains, through Virginia wow. and West Virginia. Two million feet, an eight-inch hole this big in the mountain under the road. And the road in Virginia, West Virginia, very little, it's all t- two lanes and then ditches, right? So yeah. very, very tight quarters. I was going against Mostec and DICOM. We had 27 employees, right? Because we were all contractor. Those 27 right. employees were admin, mostly inspectors right. and supervisors, right. engineers, uh, draftsmen. I was going up against 15,000 employees of Mostec and DICOM to combine $19 million, uh, sorry, billion dollars in yearly revenue. Our biggest year ever was $60 million from the Virgin Islands. Right. In Puerto Rico. I mean, that's a week for them. Uh, we won half of that project. It was a $180 million project. We won a million feet. So we won $90 million project within the first three months. And how did we do it? We made our weakness our strength. We yeah. said those companies, $180 million for them is nothing. Right. But for us it would be a crown jewel. you would have right. all of our attention. we would be so you know uh, on time we'd be you know present and we'd be right. asking what else we could do to make it your job easier where one thing goes wrong with them and you're chasing them. Yeah. we won half the project within three months, they gave us both sides of that project. They actually because, took yeah, off of the project
0: because they were falling
1: behind. They were, behind they were not doing what we were doing, the things yeah. that we were doing. So we, they liked, again, our attention to detail, our as-built, and our, our telling them ahead of time when things were going to go wrong because we had that foresight and that communication skills where they were, they like to go after the fact. Let's do the work, do the change order, and get the money, even if it takes a long time because they have to pay us. Now, mm-hmm. they could afford that. We couldn't. So we had to tell them ahead of time, we see BlackRock here. It's going to be this much money. We give them the foresight, the time to plan the budget. That $180 million turned into $300 million. And that's because, and we got all of it as we were going because we had that communication. So these are the little things where your weaknesses become your strengths because you see the success that those things from ITT that's, and the successes from the Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico did that led to the next bigger project. It was huge. And,
0: and that's, and that is what's critical, you know, credibility and your word you know, will stand out above anything else, okay? And when you start talking about, you know, uh, it, like I said, you know, you saw Facebook and, and, and things like that, and you knew what was coming, what was coming down the road, you know. Um, when I went into Brazil, okay, I was laid off in 2009, and I knew the entire world was going through this thing. It was not just the U.S. The only country coming out of this recession faster than anybody was Brazil. And because they were a cash country. And it's because they had just won the awards for both the the, uh, World Cup games and the Summer Olympics. So coming from that industry, I knew the timetable. I knew everything was lined up for me to go in there and match up companies. Those are the signs that you want to watch for, okay? What are some of the signs if you are with a company either internally – Internal signs is what I'm looking sure, at. Sure, I love that. What are some of the internal signs as an employee or something like that that we should be watching for within the company that we're in that red flags should be
1: coming? So out? I call that intra- intrapreneur-minded. Yeah. Uh, whenever, Literally, when I was digging those ditches back when I was 20, I would come in in the morning, and all the guys would be in the parking lot, and they'd be talking about how much they drank last night and how much they you know, chasing the tail or whatever. I was. I went and swept the floors of the, of the warehouses just because I was thinking I, I, it was my job, is was my company. I just treated every time that I had a position like I had ownership of that position and I had a commitment to the company like I owned it. So what you're talking about, the red flags, whatever position you were in from sweeping the floors to being a C-suite person, it's not only the red flags. The red flags is, I guess, it would be the opposite of what I was thinking you were going to ask me. Uh, are they not coming to me? Are, are they avoiding asking me questions? Because you'll oftentimes find the best person uh, in the in the department is asked to do the most. Right? You do that so good. Why don't you do it three times as much? And then the person that's not doing it, we won't ask them to do anything. Yeah. Uh, that's a bad leadership uh, overlay. All right. When you have a bad leadership, that's exactly what happens. So if you're in that structure. Uh, that's a red flag that you've got problems above you. Is that you're having employees who are good at their job being asked to do three times what they should be doing, where other people skate? Nick um, Saban talked about the worst way uh, to ruin, a, or I should say, the best way to ruin an organization is to mix high achievers and people that don't really have good uh, much care about the responsibility that they have. Right. They both right. don't mix. So a red flag is, do you have an organization that has a, a bad combination of really good achievers and people who are just mediocre minded? And that would, I would say, you have to work on that immediately. You can right. hire bad. You can't keep bad.
0: Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And and paying attention to who you're hiring. But internally, you know, you can. there are signs, and, and you're right. I approached it from the side of, say, an employee or, you know, something like that. You approached it from the C-level, okay? What's the C-level C with the people underneath them? Yeah. So there, there, there are signs internally that we should be watching that um, will help us determine, okay, are we on the right track or do, are there signs that we need to start thinking about Do we need to
1: pivot here? I'll tell you a good sign. Are there real true friendships in the organization at that level? When people, if you see people in an organization and they have friendships, they're hanging out after work on the weekends. And when they come in, they're talking about their personal lives in a good positive way They're interacting with each other's and their families. You can't get better than that. When you have really good bonds between employees uh, outside of the office, that makes it real hard for people to leave your organization that way.
0: So, Uh, how can business owners strike a balance between ambition and caution when scaling their business?
1: I think it's by leading that way, right? You can, my last name is spelt to risk and my blood type is D positive, right? That's a bad mix. That's that's how come my, I have those highs and lows because I'm, I'm really up for taking huge risk. And then I have this big positive attitude that's all going to work out. Uh, But when it doesn't work out, it's that attitude. It's like, good, right? The Jocko Willing. When it doesn't work out, good. Oh my God, what is up next? Because that didn't work out for a reason. So when you have those ambitious people, push that, but watch the attitude for when things don't go their way. And when you have people who are too risk adverse down here, you want to prompt them. It's okay to take a risk and reward that that behavior, especially when the attitude matches the the outcome, no matter what the outcome is.
0: That's very good. That's very good. No, definitely, definitely. So what role does data and analytics play in identifying the success clues?
1: That's a good question because I've often been called uh, Jeremy in the weeds tourist because I go so deep with this analytics and it's not needed most of the time. In my position, I shouldn't have been doing what I did, but I created this rake off system that actually boosted us and our, our level of trust with AT&T because we would tell the owners of AT&T, our, 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 our counterparts, when we got a PO, I got so deep into their PO that I would tell them before we started work, we're missing these 82 line items that, that's going to be around $72,000. Can you add that to our PO before we start? Because they would actually get points deducted from their score if they had change orders after the work started. Yeah. So with our rakeoff system, we actually made them look really good. So they would give us this PO, uh, inflated PO, before we started. It was good for them. Yeah. Now, I was the operations vice president. I shouldn't have been doing that. I was doing it every night after everyone went home. I was in Dallas. I lived in Fort Lauderdale, so I didn't have a family. And I would spend hours and hours and hours going through the minutia of these numbers. I shouldn't have been doing that. Yeah. But once I learned that system, I taught somebody an entry-level person who I could teach how to read them. And then they did them. And that was their job at $20 right. an hour, mm-hmm. not me doing 90, 120 hours of a week yeah. when, uh, but somebody has to do it first. And once you yeah. do it first, then you can kind of keep it simple, keep a super simple system, but you got to do the minutiae first because right. detail, the devil is in the details, but uh, just
0: gotta, that is.
1: balance is hard. And I love that so you, work too.
0: Yeah. And 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 you know, um, especially up until the recession of two thousand six, two thousand eight, nine, or whatever, um, the AEC industry, the architectural, engineering, construction industry, really never had to really market themselves. Jobs were just put into their laps. Mm-hmm. Okay? Very seldom did they have to compete because there was so much work.
1: Yeah. And
0: then when they ended up having to compete, then what you found is. Uh, a lot of these these uh, construction companies and things like that were basically buying projects. What mm. they were doing was they were low bidding and the oh. understanding that through change orders they'd make up the difference. It the owners caught on to that real quick. Yep. You know. So you know those are the kind of things when you start seeing that happen and and the low bids coming in, you know exactly what's happening. You know, and you're talking to millions of dollars.
1: With, yeah. no, we're not talking a bit of $1,300 a month. We're no. talking thirteen we're talking million 13 million, millions, a month. millions, millions, yeah. right? Yeah.
0: Exactly. So, yeah,
1: and those little things help, uh, they add up those little yeah. changes. Yeah.
0: So we're going to come to your, your bailiwick here. So what role does effective coaching play in helping businesses recognize and act on the signs of success?
1: So this is where my whole story changes in 2021, after we got through uh, really doing a great job with that Virginia and Virginia, West Virginia, Facebook job company actually came in and bought us for a lot of money, like $35 million. Wow. Uh, I was a, an equity owner. So I got a nice chunk of that money and it allowed me to just change my lifestyle. So I'm, right. not, cha- I'm not traveling anymore. I was traveling every single week for 10 years, building plant all over America, building these offices, hiring the people. That's where I was doing most of my coaching was just duplicating the, the McDonald's uh, system oh, right around yeah. the country. And I was able to take that money and start this coaching program. And I started saying, I, what I see going on in, in this industry, especially is they don't understand that, that model that you're talking about. Let's just go get in. We'll lose money at first, but then we'll get those change orders. And when these companies got smart, they simply just said, no, you committed to this. We put a penalty clause in it. So now we're going to start fining you every month until you get the job done. And these companies are growing out of business. And I wanted to help those companies. So I started doing this project manager mastery course, and I was helping a couple of companies. One of the things I'm most proud of is that I left that company two years ago. All of the people that I hired are still there. and, And they're still doing great. And the projects are doing great. They're thriving. And because the systems that we put in were so good, these other companies, they are depending on the old guard, the old work. We've always done it this way. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of foundational stuff there, but there's certain things that you haven't changed to come around to that. These bigger companies who are giving you the work they're, they're smarter than that now. And they are, they're looking for somebody responsible who's going to give them a price. They can actually do it for and do it for that price. Right. So we do like to help those, that kind of industry. That's kind of where we, uh, our mainstay is, but I, I definitely got tired quickly though, because again, started having to travel. I was speaking I'm with the Florida Speakers association, I wrote the book and uh, I wanted to change that too. Instead of me helping people, I created the platform where I got to have other coaches come to the platform and have the clients who are looking for those coaches, find the coaches in one place. I created a depot. Because right. that's the problem I wanted to solve. I didn't want to help two or three companies. I wanted to help two or three hundred coaches help two or three thousand companies.
0: Right, right, exactly. You know, and in this industry, you know, um, some of the uh, the outcomes of what they were going through is the um, influx or the rise of what we call design build delivery yeah. methods, as opposed to design bid build. Because by the design build, then you're incorporating the architects into the actual whole process. Right. So that it eliminates a great deal of the change orders and, you know, and things like that.
1: Then come so, upon the engineer who is going to do the work to capture. Exactly. Everything. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So of that finger pointing.
0: And, and And the clients are the ones who are saying, I want design build because of this. Because of the fact that they don't want all these change orders coming through, yeah. they want to know that I have a team that has worked together cohesively, you know, and to to come in there. So,
1: but there is an evil part of these companies who are still doing this. I know they were doing it when I left. I think someone was still doing it. It's called the reverse bid. And did you ever hear of the reverse bid? Is that like, like the
0: reverse mortgage?
1: <laughs> it's worse than that. That let's say uh, AT and T did this once with their tree trimming project they had down here in South Florida. They had about twenty of us on a phone call, literally online, but it was a voice call. We weren't, we couldn't see each other, um, and we all put numbers in there. It was blind. They started the bidding at, let's say, it was two dollars a foot, and that's the starting bid, which is a really high bid for tree trimming. So we we're like, yeah, two bucks a foot. They go, okay, now the, the lowest bid uh, we bid, and then we get, well, how much? We're going to come down to six cents. We're going to go to a dollar ninety four. And then they would reveal everybody's bids, but not who bid them. And then we would all see, oh, we were right there. And they would go, yeah, but that's not enough yet. Let's do it again. And it would drive us lower and lower and lower and lower. I think the winning bid was like 72 cents a yeah. foot. And it took all day. And yeah. it's like, you are asking for it, AT&T, you know, yeah. because this yeah. is such a bad way to do business. It's it bad. Is. It's exclusion, it it's basically. At the end of the day. I mean,
0: I've 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 done bids, um, you know, uh, government bids and things like that on products and things like that. And and basically that's what you've got a bid and they and they give you, they want you to give a range parameters. Well. how yeah. low will you go. <laughs>
1: yeah. Okay.
0: Yes. So and then they go in, they and they they compete, you know, and sure. yeah. but they
1: don't consider those as intangibles too. Do we show up? Do we fix what we break? Do we leave yeah. with telling people that we broke, especially in yeah. our industry where you might cut, hit gas, and then if you don't tell anyone, it might blow a house up. You've seen those on the news around the country from time to time. Typically that's an underground construction company hits a gas line and a sewer line. The gas leaks into the sewer pipe, fills a, a pipe, a house up with their water. And then it starts um, evaporating, and then they do a, a spark and a house explodes. Yeah. That's happened more so many times. That's what you see. That's what's happened.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, <laughs> in your experience, how important is having a clear and adaptable strategy when it comes to pursuing growth? Well, and strategy is develop it? Yeah.
1: Strategy comes down to systems and processes. So, are your systems and processes in place? <laughs> are they, system of company-wide does everybody know about it and do you review it at least on a quarterly basis so you're back to your point on data what's working in the system what's not working how is the process effective how is it wasting time does it work everywhere or do you have to change it or tweak it to some regions so when it comes to that if you've got the systems and processes in place and you're reviewing it and it's being effectively implemented then you're, you shouldn't have a problem. Everything should be going up or your numbers should be going up. And if they're not, you should be able to clearly see why there's those indicators. Success yeah. leaves clues. So does failures. Failures also leave clues.
0: And that's true. That's true. But strategy is also being able to look ahead. What could happen and yeah. putting together some kind of a mitigation strategy. If yeah. this happens, what
1: then if this, then if this <laughs> happens,
0: sorry. Then this is what we're going to do. This is how yes. we're going to pivot, you know. And that's and and that's critical when you are a small business, you know, moving forward. Look at what COVID did to a lot of these these. Who saw that coming? And we're not talking small businesses. We're talking major corporations. Yeah. that hit hard.
1: Yes, you know? yeah. So, so the, yeah. the the what if we used to call it what when, right? Because we would say what would happen when this happens, or we so we just say what when. Tracy Colbichini, I'm going to credit her with that. Yeah. yeah. So she, yeah. she used to just say, what, when? And then we would have to say, well, when that happens, typically this would happen. Now, everything is, is going to be yeah. case by case basis. But over the large part, this is who you call. This person's dealt with this situation before. You have subject matter experts uh, that are available to look at a project and say, this, this was something you might see. Now, most of the things you should know, most of the things looking down, you have tactics and strategies. A lot of people mix those up or intertwine yeah. or inflate them. They're two different things. So on your strategies, uh, when things go wrong, it typically is because your tactics are out of line. So when you change your tactics, let's say um, uh, for construction, let's stay with that. We're doing underground construction. Well, you can see handholes around and, and different meters. You know, there's gas, there's water, electric and communications sewer. What you don't see is maybe an eight inch water force main that's going through a neighborhood because there's no, uh, no clue that right. that's uh, evidence right. that that's there unless you've been there long enough and done enough jobs in that area to know, oh boy, I remember when I did the job back then, how it bit us, how it bit us this time. So you don't know what you don't know. But when you have that understanding with the client that says we've identified everything we possibly can identify, we don't ask for change orders just willy-nilly, we eat what we have to eat if we do mess up. But something like that, the unknown of the unknowns, you've got to come a little bit and help us with this part of it. And typically- you should have known you're that you, this is your home turf right is, the, and that's right? exactly fine, it so.
0: yeah that's exactly it you know and you know i agree you know you've got your tactical elements you have your objectives okay you know you have your your goals your objectives and your tactical elements yeah. you know and and in order to effectively tactively whatever. Is that a word tactically? It
1: is now. It is now. I love it. In
0: order to (laughs) apply those tactics, you have to understand what resources, everything else you're going to need. Yes. In order to effectively carry out tactically what needs to be done. All right. So there's so much more that goes into the strategy that is, is really dependent on what your scaling process is the outcome you want to do yeah Yeah. what is it that you want so you know definitely so um are there any specific resources or books that you can recommend to our business owners that
1: will talk to this well I mean I have a couple behind me because those are special to me and and, uh, the author or the or the licensees but I would say uh beyond um they're out of focus because I love art um I I love photography and I like to look at that but um you know, rich dad, poor dad is is if you're a young person starting off, you definitely understand finances and how money works.
0: Yeah. You're never going to
1: get anywhere in life, no matter how good you are at anything without knowing how money works, how okay. capitalism works, how the real estate market works. So rich dad, poor dad, a big one. Um, it How to win and influence friends, uh, this, the seven habits of highly effective people, all of the classics, they, they're, they're there and they're classics for a reason. Uh, meditations by uh, Marcus Aurelius meditations, a lot of different people kind of translated his works. It's about how to be stoic. And that's how to be, um, uh, really how to take anything that comes at you, adversity or otherwise, like, uh, like, like would water off a duck's back, right? right. It's, it's in my, the back seat of my car behind the passenger seat in the pocket. Cause whenever I'm stuck at a train or drive through or something, and I got five minutes that I have to be patient, I whip that thing out and I just, I'm on, I'm on a highway and I'm sitting there, I can look at it and just open up to any page and just read because this guy ruled a kingdom 2,000 years ago. Right. And he had the same anxieties that we have about waking up in the morning and going to work and facing the plague and you know all this stuff. Oh, I mean yeah. it's really amazing uh, what kind of person he was and how it tra- his, his mindset translates to us these days.:
0: No, definitely, definitely. So any last words or of advice you want to leave?
1: You know, we we started this off with success leaves clues. And I would just say that failure is a natural outcome. So many things are, are going to come to us in life. And don't be afraid to try them because failing at something is a natural outcome. Yeah. But succeeding and crossing that finish line, when that happens, you're only going to enjoy it for 10 seconds or maybe 10 minutes. Right. It's that whole journey throughout that race. <laughs> Uh, the adversity, the the blisters and and the nauseousness and and the, the your mind telling you to stop, you idiot. Uh, that when you overcome that and those things get get you get by it and that you have that elation, that's the parts that you have to hold on to. So you're so going through every day, getting over these little bumps every day, these adversities that you that you face. I mean, I have suicide in my family, like you wouldn't believe. I remember that stuff. I hold on to that stuff. Other than that. There are so many bad days I had that I couldn't even tell you the first place to start as to what they were. So I don't remember them; they're just gone. Yeah. But it's a, it's didn't a lesson
0: it. learned. It's a it didn't lesson stop learned. me. It didn't
1: yeah. it, it pushed me? Yeah. You know. And so take those failures and let them help you push you to to succeed. Exactly. Those are the clues. When you get past that, mm-hmm. I, I heard mm-hmm. something. uh, I asked, you know, not to get religious, but I ask God for courageous of courage. And he gave me dangerous p- situations to be courageous. in. I asked him for wisdom and he gave me a hard, a lot of hard problems to solve, you know? And so you, you're not going to get there by not being tested. And if you do, you won't appreciate it at all. But, uh, yeah, you're not going
0: to get you know, there by stuff. being classed either, you know, no. yeah, by sitting back and waiting, you no, know, I, that's my, the my,
1: success that that to yeah. when you get past all that.
0: Yeah. When I, when I, uh, i got a sister and, and when we were growing up and she was struggling and I, I said, why aren't you doing this? And why aren't you doing that? She says, God will get, God will lead me on the way. And I'm saying, I mm-hmm. won't lead you unless you're willing to get out there and start doing stuff yourself. I'm sorry. I, you know,
1: <laughs> I come from a uh, hurricane South Florida. And there's an old uh, story about a hurricane flooding the area. And, uh, the trucks came to the house to pick up the families They said God will save us, so they, everyone left but them. And then the water got higher, so he was on the second floor. And the boat came, and they said, "Get in!" And he said, "No, no, I'm sure God will save us." And so the water kept rising. And now he's on his roof, and a helicopter from the Coast Guard lowered a rope down. They said, uh, "Get on!" He said, "No, no, God will save us." Well, the, it was the God the- all the time. <laughs> they, they died. The guy went to heaven. He saw God. And he said, "God." Why didn't you save us? Because I sent you a truck, I sent you a boat, and I sent you a helicopter. What more do you want?
0: I know that's exactly <laughs> it. That's exactly it. You know, um, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I've heard that story before, and it's it's it really is. You know, when you, I talk about clues, yeah. <laughs> talk about signs. Come on, guys. You, you know, gotta
1: open your mind up bigger than yourself. That these, exactly these troubles are here for you. They're not happening to you.
0: Exactly. So, how can people get a hold of you should they want to?
1: Jeremy Torsk is my last name is spelled to risk anywhere on social media. I go live every day at 2:30 on Monday through Thursday on all the social medias, YouTube, uh, like us, follow us, subscribe to us. Uh, basically uh, Jeremy at coaching done better. If you go to coaching done better.com, my schedule is there. Jump on there. Let's grab a virtual coffee. I can help you introduce you to any kind of coach that you need. I probably, I'm not really coaching one-to-one anymore, but I've got the platform where I help people match up with the right coach for them at the right time, mind, body, or business. So.
0: Excellent. And I will be including all of Jeremy's contact information in the transcripts. Once this podcast drops.
1: Thank you. Appreciate you.
0: Yes. So that concludes our podcast for today. Please leave a review on any of the streaming platforms you're listening to us on, or go to our charged up studio Facebook page and leave a review there. Charged Up Studio is a product of Marketatomy and Marketatomy Academy, the e-learning system designed specifically with the small business owner in mind. For more information and to register for any of our courses, go to Marketatomy, M-A-R-K-E-T-A-T-O-M-Y dot academy and sign up. Again, this is Dana Olivo, your host with Charged Up Studio and... We'll be back next week with another exciting guest and thank you so much, Jeremy, for joining us today and go out and have a Charged Up week. Goodbye, everybody. You've been listening to Charged Up Studio Live, the podcast with you, the small business owner in mind, with your host, Dana Olivo. Join us every Tuesday as we bring you valuable tips and insights into many of the topics you don't know, you don't know about growing a successful business. Please leave us a review on any of the streaming platforms you are listening to or visit us on the YouTube or Facebook page and leave a review or subscribe so you don't miss another episode. You can also support us through Patreon by visiting our website, chargedupstudio.live and click on the Patreon link. Until next week, go out and have a charged up week.
1: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.